and you are you are our inaugural episode for this. What, what, um, what he's saying is you're our guinea pig. Guinea, you're a guinea pig. pig. Yeah, that, yeah, it sounds no better if you say that. inaugural guest, but it right. has the exact same right. number of letters as guinea pig, just organized in a different <laughs> way. <so>. That's <laughs> the answer. Yeah. Um, if that were true, I would feel so pleased right now, but it's not. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the host joining me this evening are John Christian and Troy Sandlin. Hello, hello, hello. Greetings, gamers. Mm. Greetings. This is the... Gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Greetings, Starfighter. It's already started. It's begun. Uh, you are Super Starfighter. That's right, baby. This is our inaugural episode in a new format. Um, and I think that we should draw attention to that uh, uh, for our listeners. We used to record these episodes all in one go. And uh, that's great in some ways. The downside of it is that our news section sometimes became belated. Uh, mm. By the time it actually came out, it was old news. Uh, or it was, you know... We were t- had to talk about things two weeks after they launched or whatever, yeah. right? So yeah, sometimes it uh, was even fake news, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we've determined to do now is we record the the meal, the dinner portion uh, ahead of you know separately, and then every week we're going to record a fresh news section for you. So you're going to get up to date news during each podcast that's released. Um, so bear with us as we figure out exactly how we want to do that. Um, but uh, for today, um, we're going to start off with our news, with our dessert course, and then we're going to dive into an episode uh, where we interview uh, Master Cameron Day from Daylight Publications. Yes, indeed. Um, so you'll hear a new voice coming in here after a bit, and uh, that is... Uh, Cameron's sultry tones, uh, <laughs> caressing the inside of the ears. Yeah, yeah. Man, why'd you have to make it weird? <laughs> Sorry, Cameron. Oh hey, Sorry, I want to. I want to say something real quick though at the beginning of this episode that I did not forewarn you about. Uh, by golly, our virtual weekends better when we have all these cool listeners hopping into our games. Oh, yeah. amen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, home run. Um, if you are a listener and also played at one of our tables, uh, you're the best. Uh, don't care what John says. You're the best. That's right. Uh, you throw me under the bus. I've never well, said a negative thing about anybody ever in my life. That's a lie. Camera. That is a, that is a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. There's a, there's a lot of like old recordings that I've begged, uh, Zach and Troy to delete. Um, I that, still have them. Oh. Well, I never really wanted to run for public office anyway, so Let's I think I'm pretty safe. <laughs> no, I, I will echo Zach's uh, sentiment that I love returning players. 
but the players that we're getting in from uh, from the podcast are just phenomenal. We've had some really, oh, really yeah. good ones come to the table, and just an absolute treat whenever they come in and, and let us know that uh, this is where they're coming from. It's yeah. So yeah, you really, really cool. Flavor. You really even, Girk. Uh, even Girk. Even Girk. Oh, even Girk? Well. Okay. Okay. You, even Girk. You have to take Girk to get to the rest of his cool family. So, I mean, it's a trade-off. <laughs> it's a trade-off. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's that's what his wife told me. She's like, I'm sorry, it's a package deal. It's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that I just wanted to give a little plug there uh, because our listeners are awesome. And uh, they're becoming even more so as they uh, make their way at, to our tables and and uh, let us do some interactions uh, with them face-to-face. So mm-hmm. appreciate that. Okay, so we've got three news articles for everyone today. Um, and there's some big news that just dropped today. This is why this new system is going to work so well. Um, but we're going to save that for last because I think that's a bigger discussion. Um Troy, talk to us about Freelancer. Freelancer, Skies Over Tolindia is a new setting and custom-made game system for this concept. Y'all know I like Eberron. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those that have been listening for a while, y'all know I geeked out pretty hard when uh, Privateer Press announced (laughs) Iron Kingdoms. Mm -hmm. This is in that vein. It is... It is set in this world, uh, the, the mighty nation of uh, Talindia, and the players take on the role of freelancers, and they travel. They travel the globe in these like flying airships, but they're not, you know, they're not like what you see in Eberron. They're more. It, it looks. It's a more steampunky. It's a more mm-hmm. Iron Kingdomsy type thing. And there's dragons, and you know these things are bristling with guns and stuff. There's tanks. There's dog people, rabbit people, elves, humans, all this stuff. Um, I'm just insanely intrigued as to what how all this stuff fits together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and they have a line of STL files for printable minis and and terrain stuff that that comes with you know in the Kickstarter, so you can get all this stuff. And you've got the the right feel for everything already baked in. It's a it's a D ten dice pool system. It just has that that steampunk swashbuckling, uh, high fantasy, high energy type stuff that I really dig. Um, they've got they've got stuff set up for uh, roll twenty. Yeah, it just looks like a lot of fun. Check it out. Watch the video. Read the stuff. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's one of those that. Uh, I want to get a hold of, and I'm hoping to run at least a one shot of it somewhere. You know, it, when I'm, I'm looking at the art, which is great, yeah, right. It's really, really good art. It's evocative to me of like a sky captain in the world of tomorrow. Yep, weird history yes. kind of yes. thing where alternate Earth with elves and like anthropomorphic dog people, rabbit people, and stuff like that. But it's like yep. there's that good hodgepodge of Maybe like turn of the century, twentieth century, World War One era, kind of like mixed with mm-hmm. magic and steampunk and monsters and stuff like that. Kind of, that's a cool vibe. I like that. I, I can dig that. Yeah, yep. definitely. I mean, who doesn't want to be a a, a Doberman Pinscher special forces guy jumping off the deck of a flying gunship to land on the back 
of a giant dragon that's strafing, you know, your your land troops. People that hate orphans, that's the kind of person that would not like that. Just putting that out. You there. know what? You know what? It's those are the same people. <laughs> those are the same people uh-huh. that don't like mech stuff. Oh. Oh. That's a body blow right there. That's a uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, all right, Zach, I, I, Zach is staying very Switzerland about this. Yeah, very, yeah. that's oh, very he Switzerland. Always, he <laughs> always stays Switzerland. I gotta say, I am intrigued by this project. Um, I had not seen this until tonight. You're welcome. Um, I think that it's a very like the art captures me. It's mm-hmm. not the most detailed. Probably, if I was to hazard a guess, it's not the most expensive art you'll see. On a Kickstarter, but it's interesting and it looks, it's got a style that's unique and I don't know, I kind of like it. It feels like, it feels like concept art, right? Where it's like speed paint in Photoshop, get it done really, really quickly, get the, hit the highlights of the concept of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Not really worried about the, the quibbles. But for and... this style, it works. No, yeah, no, this one, yeah, I'm getting at that. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's not a knock at all. No, yeah, no, no. Um, I, it, okay, I yeah, I can see that. It it, it kind of gives you that feel of of Macquarie uh, concept art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. the Star Wars. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So anyhow, I I'm, I'm I'm kind of enveloped in it now. To be honest, I'm just kind of browsing through. The thing I wish that this Kickstarter did a little bit better was uh, help me out with the system, the dice system, because yeah. I, it's not mm-hmm. super clear on how. Is it using? It looks like it's using a D10 based system, that, yeah, but it doesn't say that. But it does. Impl- it, it does. If you if you scroll down a little farther, there. Let's see. Yeah, playing the game. It is. Uh, it was a system designed from the ground up to fit the fit the tense and dangerous nation of Tolindia. It has a D10 dice pool system based heavily on a character's skills, where mm. players can make tactical decisions and work creatively to exploit valuable abilities and maximize their chances of success. They're not bound okay. by level and class. Skills grow right. with use. And there are some yeah, videos here, so if we... Yeah, I was going to say, there's a 30-minute long character creation video that kind of mm-hmm. dips yeah. into the, the mechanics there a little bit more, too. 100%. Cool. All right, yep, yep. so that was Freelancer, Skies Over Talindia. On Kickstarter, I'm going to follow that up with another Kickstarter project. Uh, I'm going to talk about Farsight, uh, the science fiction role-playing game. Yeah. Um, uh, Farsight launched a few days ago, and it's got 20 days left in its campaign. It's done about twenty-seven thousand um, dollars. What we were talking about before, gentlemen, was how the the level of detail and just sheer gorgeousness that's coming out of uh, Italy-based RPGs right oh, now. Yeah, I think yeah. some of the shocking, so best, best-looking stuff comes from Italy, um, almost hands down. I don't know that I've seen a campaign that looks anything less than the best on Kickstarter from Italy, at, from from at least these last several. Um, and this one, I don't think, is any different. Um, the campaign itself, like the presentation on Kickstarter, is perfect. In my opinion, it's perfect. It is it, slick. It's engaging. It's slick. It communicates the right things. Uh, this is probably just like shop talk for our listeners, but like creating an uh, engaging Kickstarter page is half the battle towards success. And, and 
they hit it out of the park. Uh, that being said, uh, they needed to fix their logo before they put it on the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they went with a, a logo that removes pieces of the letters, and it makes it so you're not quite sure how it ends. The H and the T become kind of muddy. Um, but it is Farsight. Um, it is, uh, so, so I should guess we should say, it's 5e Evolved. So it uses, it says it uses the D20 base system, but in reality, what they mean by that is they're using the, I, the, the general feel of 5th edition and the progression and things like that as a starting point, but then they really shift everything. As an example, it's not D20, it's 2D12. Who? Uh, what? What madness yeah. is this? I know. It's, that's a Who little uses bit different. D12s? Uh, and like in uh, in cool in, in fifth yeah I was gonna say in fifth edition I can count on one hand the number no, the number of times you use a uh, d12 yeah, barbarian following your hit points that's about yep. it um yeah I I mean so it's another sci-fi setting I'm I'm a sucker for sci-fi settings in general um if this but here's the thing right if this was a five e product I don't think it would have grabbed me. But the fact that it has this pitch of it looks gorgeous and it's this evolved concept um, that they already have said that they're going to release an OGL for. Hmm. Might have got me. It might have got me because I think it's got a cool idea. Uh, uh, I also like that it has a box set and some other stuff. But uh, by and large, it's if you look at a italian kickstarter you're gonna buy that italian kickstarter i think so yeah yeah listener be warned you will spend money <clears throat> that's mine far uh, last but not least the big news the thing that just got announced uh, the big one oh baby john take it away yeah so i am i'm the I'm, lo- I'm the lucky one i've been digging through the interwebs today the myriad websites, podcasts, uh, YouTube videos, Twitch streams, and anything and everything I can get my hands on to get as much detail about this as possible for our, our listeners out there. If you haven't heard about it already, I'd be shocked. Uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft will be the May release, the next hard hard uh, hardcover after Candlekeep Mysteries. Um, so... It's it's the campaign setting. Like it's one of the three. None of us are shocked. We know we we've already kind of prognosticated this previously about this either being a, a dread domain joint, but using the Ravenloft brand. Not a shocker that they're using that. It's recognition. It's like Nike. You know, people know what they're getting into whenever they whenever they whenever they go to Ravenloft. Uh, the treatment that they gave this thing though, two hundred fifty six page count. Um, it's presented. Similarly to the way that they did with Xanathar's Guide and Volo's Guide and things like that, where it's but it's correspondence between Rudolf van Richten, who is the equivalent of uh, van Helsing, van Helsing, Abraham van Helsing from uh, from uh, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, but this correspondence goes back and forth between himself and Esmeralda and the Weathermay Foxgrove twins, some of the big names in the of the past, right? Some callbacks and some shout-outs to the second edition version of Ravenloft, this back and forth. And so I'm going to kind of go through the list here, like low and slow, 
to let you let it sink in so the some of the things that i've seen so far and this isn't even everything obviously right but this book is packed packed full of goodies uh details many realms uh the the dread realms 30 they've got 30 that are outlined in there i and uh, troy and i were talking about this before the show about uh, were there even 30 ever or they, they must have done some and then like some and then some right yeah the only one that i did not see in here because hey it's me kids uh it was sithicus which is the dread domain that belonged to lord soth lauren soth of dragonlance whenever he got sucked into the dread domain so that's not there which is totally fine because uh, i'm not really sure if that was ever considered canon or not i don't think that tracy or uh weiss ever recognized it and so and if there's some like branding you know they don't want to homogenize the Ravenloft and the Dragonlance stuff too much, but anyway, so um, you know they kind of go through the the mists outside of Strahd's Valley of Barovia, beyond mm-hmm. these red domains where uh, dark powers and the, like the it's almost like a, a prison for the most evil uh, malefactors of the cosmos, and the the dread powers siphon the negative energies from them from either their um, their torture, like with uh, with Strahd. Or they're the torture that they inflict on others in the in their dread domains, and so they'll go into more about guidance on creating their your own realms of terror, and uh, what those look like. Where you, if you're your apex predator, uh, that it kind of everything revolves around, and then the other citizenry that's inside of there, how uh, characters are able to get in and, out, in and out and traverse those, and how they connect to the different uh, the cosmology of the, the dread domains. Um, along with that, so for the characters and the players out there, this isn't just a DM reference. Uh, new backgrounds and trinkets themed specifically for a horror setting. Not just Ravenloft, but for horror. Uh, new character lineages. Uh, this is kind of a... I think this is they're, they're dipping their toe into not calling it race, a race anymore or species, right? So uh, your physiological or some kind of background that makes you unique. You know, so this your own uniqueness based on a past or, or like a, a genetics or anything like that, right? Uh, we've already seen these three in uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana playtests, so not a surprise. Uh, Dompier, which is the half vampire, Hexblood, and the Reborn, which is kind of like a remnant or revenant. Well, those sound a little familiar, don't they? Don't they? Shockingly, huh. hmm. Hmm. Like, like it's like maybe, we've seen them before. Uh, maybe somebody released a little sneaky peeky. Right, a little bit. Earlier. Yeah. Well, and what's what's interesting to me is the development cycle and how soon before the release, the playtest came out in the form of the UA, the Unearthed Arcana. It came out within, within what, like three to four months, because mm-hmm. we only just got those. They only just dropped, so uh, that's interesting to see that they were still at, like in, effectively in beta. Uh, before they were right as they were about to put things into print or kind of and they must be in like at least in layout phase or at this point if not already done with it um i wonder two if new that subcla- was like a late ad right 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 like if they were like let's uh, let's tick the the uh page count up a little bit more let's add a little bit more meat to the bones kind of thing give some more you player think? options here like yeah we could, we could throw in some new races and that would be you know a way to yeah yeah right um so along those lines two new subclasses uh, again, Unearthed Arcana graduates, the College of Spirits for Bards, and the Undead Pact for Warlocks. My wife, shockingly, was most excited about the Undead Pact for Warlocks because she's down with that jazz. Um, hmm. Dark Gifts, 
Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, dark those. gifts, boons from from uh, hor- from horrific no, no, uh, benefactors. No, that, that is not correct. You did not say that correctly. Oh, I'm sorry. It's yeah. not boons. It's boons. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me to do it more like a like a a, a Simpson or like Mister Burns boons. You know, like a little that, more that, sinister. That would, that would work as well because yeah, they're 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 helpful. Mm. But you don't want them. Yep. Mm-hmm. So each domain would have a a possible associated boon or dark gift that's associated to it, or the whoever the the again that apex predator is in that domain, right? Uh, a horrific assortment of creatures from the monstrous bestiary. So we're getting stacks on stacks on stacks here for the yes. for the DM. You're getting monsters. You're getting lots of story seeds. Uh, this is the one that was was awesome. Also, we've always t- we've talked about how critical an adventure is, like dovetailing an adventure with a setting or with a release or something like that, so that you can it kind of lays out the flavor for the players and it helps the the uh, the DM glom onto the themes of the setting and things like that. A all new twenty page adventure called the House of Lament. Hmm. Is uh, is also included in the in the book, which is a fantastic name. Oh, yep. and it touches on a few of the domains. It's not just stuck in one of the realms. Yes. Like yep. Yep. Uh, it's one thing that that's also well, uh, that's important to note about this is you know there's a lot of this is the the gothic horror macabre gruesome gritty depending on how it is and so uh, newer DMs might go all in. And make it super, super uncomfortable for their players, un- unwittingly or un- uh, unexpectedly. And so there is even a section in the book, some guidance for the DMs, for the players, about uh, setting some safe boundaries in session zero, keeping everybody comfortable at the table, how far is too far kind of stuff. Um, just because, you know, it's not about necessarily about sensitivity. It's just about, you know, being aware of a person's personal limits on how dark you can go. Uh, and so there's some guidance in there. Again, guidance, not requirements. So let's not all freak out about yes, uh, uh, li- limiters. You can't take gentlemen. my blood out of the horror. I want more guts in my game. Well, then add more guts in your game. You just may not have the. You may not have. You know, it may not be able to. You know, not many players may not get into that. So well, yeah, that's cool. yeah. Just find a group that wants to play it how you want to play it, and you're good. Absolutely. Just again, even even though you're in that group, still. Wheaton's law applies. Amen. Even if, not, even if you're not all offended by it, don't be a dick. <laughs> so it is written. So it is written. So it is spoken. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, there's more, right? I can go on for days, but I mean, that's the if that's not enough to get you excited about it, and if other c- campaigns are going to get this kind of treatment, I'm excited. Not yeah. just for Dragonlance. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm really excited for this book specifically. Now look, I'm, uh, the I think the most obvious thing is that they went with Ravenloft because, uh, arguably, Curse of Strahd is their biggest seller and they're the most popular and the more the the uh, most well the most well received and heralded of all of their adventures. And so dipping back into that uh, that well, not a, not surprising. And it's going to be this is going to be an easy sell for a lot of people. Oh, going to yeah. be lined up for this thing. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing that I'll add, uh, boys and girls, let's all go out to our friendly neighborhood game store and get that alt cover because it is oh, yeah. smexy. It's awesome. I love it. Front and back, it looks it looks fantastic. Um, 
you got Strahd and you've got Esmeralda on there, and she is awesome, looking super badass. Um, yeah, rock on! Yeah. Awesome. Uh, even the back cover is yeah. just that would make a a, a fine front cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. Yeah, but but hey. Before let's not take too much away from the really gorgeous main book too. Like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, no, 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 you're no. not getting cheated like, there at all. No, no, that that I love that art. Like that the front, the the the, the standard hardcovers art piece is super evocative. Mm-hmm. That front um, cover is a hammer film. Yeah, yeah, right on. It's so that, good. that has that is a. That is a young Christopher Lee up there, uh, mm-hmm. rocking rocking the Strahd look. I mean, yeah. it, it's yeah. the jam. It is yeah. the jam. It is. It looks. It looks fantastic too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Good call. That, Zach. This good may call. be one that you you know I may have to get one in book and then try to get like a print or something of one of these art pieces. Or you know just, what? Just might buy two books. Might buy two books. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, hey, that was our new section. Um, hold on to your butts. Because we're going to try something funky here. Um, We're going to pop out, refill our drinks for half a moment, and when we come back, you're going to listen to uh, us have a wonderful interview uh, with Master Cameron Day as he talks about uh, projects in the past, uh, projects ongoing, and projects in the future. Uh, It's going to be great. All right, and that was the dessert round. And up next, we've got Cameron Day talking about genre mashing. Take it away, Cameron. Uh, well, I guess to start, um, hello, I am Cam, uh, known as Daylight Publications uh, on the internets. Uh, I got started on DMs Guild in October of 2019. Uh, I had been reviewing RPGs and a lot of stuff like that a few years before when I started my podcast, uh, uh, Comics, Clerics, and Controllers, back in February of 2018. Um, And then finally I was like, well, I'm a bored senior in college. You know, over the summer (laughs) I threw some stuff together and uh, my first book on DMs Guild was Voice of the Gods, which was a... Uh, Descent into Avernus tie-in. It was four uh, Celestial-themed subclasses. We had uh, Path of the Demigod, Barbarian, the Archangel Patron for Warlock. Um, What else did we do for that one? trying to remember the other one. I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. Uh, (laughs) But we also did a cool table for it where we took uh, Enochian glyphs and we put values to them so you could, like, brand tattoo or inscribe Anakian glyphs onto your armor or body and you'd get different abilities incredibly imbalanced but uh <laughs> but fun <laughs> who, who needs balance <laughs> i'm not one for balance um and then kind of did a couple other smaller projects i think probably the big book on the guild that got me you know in some folks radar was my book root and twig that i did which was a collection of 12 subclasses uh, all themed around the American timber industry of the eight, late 1800s, early 1900s, and that was my first attempt of making a original subclass, original class, which was an absolute nightmare, uh, <laughs> but super fun and learn a lot of things. But then, um, 
the really big boom was, you know, obviously quarantine hit and I was online finishing up my student teaching in the spring of 2020 and I was in the DMs Guild uh, creative server and some friends of mine were just talking about, you know, how superheroes had been done in other fantasy settings. I think my buddy Adam found a picture of kind of the Batman homage that Pathfinder had. He's like, oh, guys, like, check th- like, how could we do this? Um, and the conversation was going along. I was grading papers, and then I just got a ping. And they were like, Cam, we need you. And I was like, what, what, what? I have been summoned. Where do you need me? <laughs> and then, like... A 10-minute discussion turned into a Discord server, which then turned into a Kickstarter, uh, which we threw together in the course of, like, <laughs> a couple of months. And uh, then we did Supers and Sorcery. We uh, 414% funded. We ended up with about uh, almost uh, $12,500. 12. And we originally we were funded in 10 hours. We didn't expect it to be as successful as it was. Yeah. We were like, this is so niche. Like, if we get the 3,000 we need, that'll be great. And then we were like, oh, we don't even have stretch goals planned. Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we, we threw that together. Um, but really with Supers and Sorcery, what we did is it was, you know, setting first. The idea that you have this world that uh, has a mega city, you know, the mega, mega city of Beacon. Um, and it's got four different levels, which we kind of designed to tie into the four different ages of comics. So if you want like some gritty Bronze Age, 90s, 80s, you can go to Low City. If you want more of like the City on a Hill, sort of Golden Age, you can go up to the higher levels. Um, you know, a, a subclass for every uh, class, original class. Um, one of the biggest complaints we got was that folks were like, oh, there's not enough, like, we thought this was going to be a full compendium on how to do superheroes in 5e. But our whole thing was like, as a PC in D&D, you're already technically a superhero. You are already yeah. above average. <laughs> yes. There, there's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> we, we, gave you, we gave you the flavor to add, but we're not going to, like, go whole hog and blow up because, I mean, A was our first book, so we were like... You know, not expecting to be successful as it was, but also we were like, there's no reason to, you know, this is a setting book first and foremost. We had yeah. we had a comment on the product page. Someone's like, I may not have read the, the Kickstarter well enough when I backed it, but I wasn't expecting this setting book to be a setting book. And I'm sitting reading the comment like, <laughs> I, uh, um, well, sorry to disappoint. <laughs> But it is. <laughs> so it's a. I don't know. Like, um, there's a lot of things that you just uh, ran, uh, kind of ran through that I have notes on. But I, I don't know that how one could be disappointed with what they ended up with with supers and sorcery. That book back here on my shelf, right over here at the corner. Uh, but it's massive. Yeah, it's awesome. way more than you might expect from a, uh, from like you said, like a. We didn't know we were going to make this, at least to this level. Um, we were just hoping to, you know, crest over the few thousand dollar mark. And that book's like, two, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, it's as big as a regular, you know, like 200 page D&D book. Mm-hmm. Um, hardcover, super nice. Uh, a lot of custom art in it. A lot of cool art yeah, in it. Yeah, 40, 45 plus pieces of custom art. Um, a team from all across the globe. And I mean... 
really, I mean, we had a ton of really talented folks on the team, some of which we brought over for comments and cockpits. Um, but with Supers and Sorcery, our, our layout artist, Ann Gregerson, is the reason that book looks as good as it does. Um, mm -hmm. We were just kind of like, she's like, oh, do you guys have a particular way you want to look? And I was like, nope. You do what you want to <laughs> do. Go nuts. <laughs> and we just kind of let her do her thing. And, um, but yeah, it was Super Sensor was really fun. And then when we were like finishing getting it ready for drafts, because we luckily we, we got it out on PDF and in print like days before Christmas, which was mm -hmm. really nice because we had said we're going to deliver December of 2020, and we did, uh, which was super nice. Like, yeah. I literally got the test prints before going home for Christmas break. And I was like, excellent. <laughs> um, and as we had been finishing, I was like, oh, I already got an idea for another one. And my buddy Adam, who was the co-producer on uh, Supers and Sparks, was like, go for it, but I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> I need a break, dude. So then I got a hold of Zach, and that became uh, Comets and Cockpits. And... You know, we we are wrapping up our first draft, and uh, the idea behind that was I was just thinking, you know, there. I love genre mashy stuff, which Zach had alluded to, um, and I thought, you know, everyone's been asking for Spelljammer from Five E for years and years and years since Five E launched, yeah, <laughs> and so far they have not produced. There have been, you know tidbits there have been sprinklings looking at you nautiloid in Baldur's gate 3 trailer um <laughs> which i think everyone was like oh my god that never happened um and so with comets and cockpits you know i wanted to originally it was going to be one book and then we decided to split it into the two book so it's going to be a two book kickstarter and it was really just to like bring the the quirkiness of video games are really like like destiny and borderlands and wildstar you know that kind of have that nice blend of fantasy junker sci-fi to a 5e tabletop because who doesn't want to be a cowboy riding a giant lynx with a gun that's powered by magic exploring across a mega planet and I fighting in. in magic powered mechs so <laughs> i went in <laughs> um so i'm gonna i'm gonna rewind us for just half a moment here because i'm i i i want to talk about uh comments and cockpits and kind of pick at your brain about that but a uh, couple things before i forget them uh john and troy perhaps you caught he was talking about one of his early projects uh root and twig yes mm -hmm. and he said the american timber you know, based around the American timber industry. I thought, how interesting. Then in the last few weeks now, this is our second guest who has taken 5e and turned it into like specifically that sort of um, American timber is an piece interesting of Americana. Americana 5e. I think that Americana 5e might be the next great frontier. Um, no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. the thing is, being a history teacher, it's, you know, I've been really pushing for more gamification in education. You know, kids learn more when there is a gamified element because they feel more invested in it. And, I mean, when I wrote Root and Twig, 
there are a couple of preambles to it where I go into the history, where I outline what there's... Because in uh, my sophomore year of college, I had to do a geography class, and we had to write a geography paper on some facet of geography for America, so I wrote one on the American timber industry, and it covered the Northeast, the Great Lakes, and the West Coast. And uh, that was just like had been sticking in my brain and then finally i wanted to do root and twig just because um my family has had such like my grandpa is a lumberjack he had his own own lumber company um lots of our you know ancestors worked in the lumber industry so it was a very like real thing and it was kind of an homage to both my dad and my grandpa when i did it and really just kind of saying you know while the Amer- while the timber industry was horrible for the environment, uh, which <laughs> was one of the, you know, the, the burning of the White Mountains was one of the things I, I touched on a lot. It is also this very, you know, American chapter of history of kind of like this is what the country is about, is like this, this progress, this industry. And it was just fun, you know, getting to make mm. subclasses. You know, we had like a river driver rogue. So the whole idea is that you just drive logs down a river and you're kind of a handyman. You know, you can, you are skilled with pole arms. You can do sneak attack with pole arms. Um, oh, don't, don't say that too loud. I don't want my players to do that. Yeah, I think, no. I think all of our hearts just kind of seized for a moment. <laughs> pole arm, the dreaded word. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, it was it was just a lot of fun. And we had this great artist, uh, Pat Maxton, who did this great like black and white art for it and it was just it was it was a blast of a book to do and I hope to do more uh historical five E stuff hmm. in the future someday. <laughs> cool. That, that is really cool. Yeah, I just uh I just snagged the root and twig teaser. That was the first thing that popped up. It's like, oh, let's check this out. <laughs> um, yeah, so that really that stuck out to me. I know the the project Low Life uh, was the one we interviewed a few yeah. weeks ago, and he he talked a lot about his uh, connection to. Uh, he said like the Appalachians, right? That was kind of his mm-hmm. draw, but also yeah. like the, uh, you know that specific time in American uh, almost mythos, right? Because that's really what we're going to talk about that here in a bit, but like the that the american history from a certain point to a certain point has almost become its own mythology um in a lot of ways right the wild west and and aspects around it and i think that that's why it it's starting to pick at people's brains like you said for for oh we maybe we could do something here because we've already scoured so many other mythologies that maybe it's time to bring it bring it to our own shores um well, it's it's one of those things like it, it's we we call it a mythology. It's it's what it was called a tall tale. Pecos mm-hmm. Bill, uh, Johnny Bunyan. Appleseed, Paul, yeah, Paul Bunyan, um, John Henry, John Henry like yeah. all these these me- like superhuman sized personalities that did that, that lassoed a tornado in Texas or you know fought a machine and won kind of thing. These they're and they are not just like as with many mythologies, there's like a morality tale that goes along with it. 
that there's like a, a a lesson to be learned outside of just the the historical uh, like the the time period that you're inside of. But I could definitely see like a, a mythos being built around these uh, larger than life characters for, during those those time frame those time periods, and actually uh, sprinkling in like the 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 mechanics of D and D to where it allows them to be bigger than just like a, a level zero or a, like a, the, the the common folk, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, that just really that that that, that I'm excited about that, um, and I, I think that it's interesting to me. Uh, first off, I was quite pleased. Um, you said that you started with uh, an Avernus project, which is also where I, we we probably dove in around the same time because that was uh, a an Avernus <laughs> subclass book was one of my first things too. Um, but I think I reviewed that one. I you did. I'm pretty yeah, sure I, I did. So. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's interesting to me that you kind of slipped in through the guild and and found purchase there because I think that's a hard thing to do. Um, do, you, do you is there something that you can tie root and twig to? Um, something that you could maybe an insight that you have on how that became the thing that got you some recognition or that got its hooks sunk into people? Well, I think. What really made Root and Twig boom so much is that I we released it in like November of 2019, and and there was an Earth Day bundle, um, and I got an email from Lisa, and she was like, "Hey, do you want to put this in the Earth Day bundle?" And I was like, "Oh, sure." <laughs> I was like, I, "I okay," um, and that you know blew it up. But I think that kind of really set the precedent for. Because I didn't really have a brand yet, I like I hadn't built my brand yet, and um, after that, I was kind of like my brand is either historical themed stuff or pop culture themed stuff. Because um, I had, so I love Bionicle. That was like my Lego growing <laughs> up. Um, just because I don't know, it was it was super cool. I watched the movies when I was younger. I still do uh, i have <laughs> okay. bionicles over in that corner uh and so after they had you know re released the new eberron book in November, i was like it is time so i set out on a mission to make a bionicle inspired warforged variant with eight sub races and we had all the original art from my buddy Marcel Buds, amazing artist. We had uh, Eden Sanders do the cover. Um, Critical Bard picked it up and was ranting and raving about it, and so that boomed. Um, I got so many hate messages from hardcore Eberron people being like, you can't put Bionicles in Eberron. I'm like, where the hell else are they going to go? It's <laughs> fair. <laughs> it makes fair. sense. Um, and that kind of spawned a little series that I did of different Warforged variants. I did a Bioshock War, like a Big Daddy Warforged, um, a Robocop Warforged, a um, Transformer Warforged. I did a Claptrap-inspired Warforged. <laughs> um, and then another fun one I did was a Terminator uh, inspired mm -hmm. Warforged, which I did the first one, and then I did a second one, which I called Interloper 2.0 Day of Judication, um, which was an update with a bunch of other Terminator themed sub races for it. Um, 
That's cool. the cover I got this great artist from Brazil, Daniel Kuhn, to do look like the Terminator 2 uh, movie poster, but like this mutton, uh, this like <laughs> mulleted, mutton chopped version of Schwarzenegger with a hand crossbow and goggles. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. It was so bad. Uh, it hasn't gotten many purchases, but I don't care. It was so much fun. Um, and that really became my thing. Like, I didn't dwell on, like, ratings or purchasings. I just wrote stuff that was fun. And um, that just kind of, that's what led into Supers and Sorcery. It's what led into Comets and Cockpits. And, um, I mean, kind of connecting back to, the like, the, the tall tale thing, that's part of what also inspired Comets and Cockpits is, you know, having a whole planet to play in rather than just a realm of like, you know, giving that idea of, you know, these, these homesteaders on this new world that has been wiped clean and they now have to try and rebuild. They have to try and, you know, rediscover their home world. Um, Hmm. And yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been very fun to, to get to dive into something so different from the the regular fantasy that is so often kind of the the go-to for settings. Mhm. Mhm. So, uh Comets and Cockpits is coming out to uh, coming to Kickstarter in April and uh I'm I definitely have been helping you with that project. It's definitely I would say uh it's it's definitely in the series of Cameron's uh, brainchilds. It it fits <laughs> well with that. If you like, if you like that idea, if you picked up Supers and Sorcery, or you like the idea of genre mashing, I think that we're gonna follow suit into that. And I think that's a good segue into our topic today that we just kind of want to do a round table on, which is how do and 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 so I'll open the floor to to. to everyone a bit more here but like how do we feel or what do you think about and we talked with i think as i'm thinking about this we talked with patrick from 307 about this a little while ago about just in general inserting genre into 5e but when we talked with him a lot of what we talked about was how to fit the easy genres into 5e or the ones that are most common right we talked about horror i think we did talk about sci-fi some um, but what we didn't talk about was superheroes and maybe we, and I think here we're now talking about, like you said, pop culture even more so. Um, so what do we think the, uh, what do we think the pitfalls and the, and the benefits or how, where's the, where's the sync points where they work well together and where do we feel like, uh, the most difficult points of access are between these pop culture genres and 5e? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot since we kind of uh, we gathered up and tried to determine what the the topic would be on primarily. I think it's something that's needed. You know, it, it's easy for it to become really tired whenever it's the same thing over and over and over again. If you look at in D and D, it is filled with different genres between pulp adventure with Eberron, uh, like the sci-fi of Sp- uh, Spelljammer. Uh, the Greek mythology of Theros, and on and on and on. Like Ravenloft touches the touches horror. I think that even though D and D is traditionally it's Western medieval fantasy, um, that it's really easy for it to get stuck in its own quagmire 
if you don't dip into the, the other genres that are out there. So even like a Western genre is something that you can dip into with Eberron. When you get close to the Mornland and you're near Salvation, the way, the way that I always interpret in my mind, the way I interpreted it is this, this frontier town that's very Western. It's on the fringes of society and civilization. And it's like, it's the a hotbed of bounty hunters, gunslingers, scrappers, yeah. uh, prospectors, it- right? And so there, I think there's a place for ju- like anything. I say I was about to say just about any everything. I can't imagine a genre that you couldn't make work if you put enough. If it's something you're really passionate about, you know. To Cameron's point, like if the the historical, uh, like like timber, like really, that's it, like. But it it works, you know. I'm looking at I've looked at it myself, right? The the root and twig, and it's it's uh, it, it it can work. It's just uh, the person has to be really passionate about it, um, and have to be that it has to come from some place that's either really personal or something that's like a like they're deeply deeply interested in. Um, in order to make make it work, but I'm fa- I'm fascinated to see that kind of stuff, like the Stranger Things, you know, mystery, like unsolved mystery type thing, a uh, uh, mystery genre. It has a place everywhere inside of D and D, and the more that you kind of it becomes steeped in the other genres, the more life that gets breathed into the overall mythology of uh, of the game itself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's needed, you know. And oh, yeah. but as for a pitfall, if I had to sit here and try to come up with a pitfall, I don't know what is the pitfall. You guys, what do you? Th- what do you, oh. can you I can't really think of one off the top of my head. I, I've got a neat. Th- go ahead, Cam. Yeah. I think one of the pitfalls for me, because I I think when I look at all the D and D settings that have come out, like the hard covers, I think. Eberron is probably the truest genre mash, where I think that is the purest alt setting they have with 5e to really let anything happen. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, I mean, Keith Baker, I mean, I have a bunch of the 3.5 Eberron books, and they really spent time making Eberron stand out. I think they tried to hit on a noir aspect with Ravnica, but it didn't quite come through. Um I think the biggest thing for me is just I would like to see more non-Western themed settings by mm. non-Western teams. Like, I'd love to see, you know, some Afropunk settings by, you know, a whole team of people of color. I would love to see a, you know, a newer rendition of, you know, Carateur brought to be a, you know, respectful and very beautiful rendition of, you know traditional Japanese and Chinese folklore. Like, I'd like to see more mythologies brought forward and represented. Um, I think, like, the Isles of Sina Una, which was on Indiegogo a while ago, a perfect... Like, I had both the creators on my show, and hearing them talk about that, I was like, this... we I want more stuff like that for settings, because, A, the teacher side of me is like, I can use those to educate. I can use those to introduce kids, you know, to these cultures when they might not ordinarily want to sit through a lesson, they'll play a game. So I can use the game to move that in. But also just is, you know, growing up in New England, it's not a very diverse area, especially in small town rural New Hampshire. So, you know, I would like to see more more genre mashing in general i think is needed because 
I, I mean, I was never a Forgotten Realms kid, but a lot of my friends were, and I tried getting into Forgotten Realms so many times, and I'd get so bored. Because <laughs> after a while, <laughs> Forgotten Realms is very much like your generic sword and sorcery. But I think just, just more mm. representative settings of different cultures on Earth. You know, different cultures, different peoples, different voices. Just more representation, I think, in settings by people other than white dudes. I, I totally <laughs> and I say agree. that as one. <laughs> I totally agree. I listened to an interview, I believe it was uh, on James Nicasso, when, when he was on, still doing a Tabletop Babble. And he had the, uh, the authors of uh, Sina yeah. Una on there. And I could not get to my computer fast enough to see where I could get that book. Mm. And, you know, just the ideas and, and, and the way he, the way he spoke about it and how hard it was to find the different, uh, stories of the different mythologies. Cause they, they didn't write things down and, and things like it was just, it was just so cool that they put that much effort into this. And I mean, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it's just, it's just a game. But yet they put so much passion into it. I'm like, I, I, I must own this. This sounds fantastic. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to put it in a game, but I'm going to buy it. And I'm going to try and put it in a game somewhere. And yeah, yeah just to see the different, the different way that cultures can look at things outside of my very, very whitewashed Eurocentric uh, uh, upbringing and surrounding. I mean, there's so much out there. There's so much flavor that, you know, by being sheltered this whole time, you know, for your whole life, you know, it, it, it's out there and it's ripe for the taking, you know, the sampling. It's hmm. interesting. I, I mean, <laughs> I love, I love that as the pitfall, uh, as far as like, cause that's something that I think. Uh, is exciting to overcome. I, I I think that for me, when you talk about pitfalls with genre, I think about the mechanics and the money side of it. In the sense that the core book will always be fantasy. The 5e core book will be fantasy. And so every time you go stray into another genre, you have to contend with the fact that you're adding a new. You're asking for people to use a fantasy book and do some crossover legwork to get into your five E modern setting or in your superhero setting. Like you said, Cam, you you made a setting book. You don't make a whole new system, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's there's going to be some translation. Like I was just looking uh, today, a spyglass in D and D in the player's handbook costs a thousand gold pieces. A thousand gold pieces so that you can magnify your vision. Two times. <laughs> um, it's very difficult to take that and drop it, just as a silly example, drop Star Wars on it as a supplement and say, well, buy our Star Wars book, it uses 5e, but it's not a one-to-one. -one. And here's all the, the tweaks that you need to do in your head to get it to work. And here's the tables in the player's handbook or in the DMG that work still, but here's the ones that don't. And... Maybe these classes or subclasses work, but these don't. And all these little, like, finiglings that you have to do. 
Um, and that's why I like uh, to, I like the irreverence. We'll put it that way. The irreverence that <laughs> a lot of your stuff has to it all. You're just like, screw it. Who cares? Let's just make something cool and, and not worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the flip side, I really like that you picked two genres that I think you can and you found answers to that by saying like supers and sorcery it's fantasy superheroes so if you want to still play these other classes or whatever that's fine like it all kind of works together same thing with comets and cockpits sure there's going to be guys walking around in spacesuits but if you want to be your nature druid you can still do that like we're not taking away from anything that that you have in your other book um but i think if in my mind at least that's the pitfall is asking to uh for for them to do that math or that that adjustments um, to get into your world or your well, genre. Let me let me let me throw this at you really quick too, though. So is it when we're talking? Let's def, uh, if from for my sake at least, def, better defines genre mashing. Is it mashing of genres as a generic concept, or uh, where you're taking? A fantasy setting and applying different genres to it or different cultural amores to it or is it are how are you applying or re-engineering the core genre of of western fantasy in D D with other cultures and and uh and uh like writing genres and things like that that are that are applied to it which one are we kind of trying to focus on really well i think from my standpoint, you know, when we did, you know, Supers and Sorcery, because one of the things we first did when we did that is we looked around and there was no 5e superhero stuff at all. Like, nowhere. And Adam and I were both like, how... It's been, it, it has been 10 years of the MCU. How is there not any 5e superhero stuff? Like, you'd think people would have capitalized on it. And you know, like Zach was talking about, we were just kind of like, we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. We have a system. It works. We just got to reflavor it. So I think when, we, when when I think genre mashing, you know, obviously, like Zach was saying, 5e is always going to be fantasy-based. I would, you know, like to see maybe in the future they go more, you know, genre agnostic, kind of the way that Quest, which is a great system, if none of you guys have ever dived into Quest. Quest is a great genre agnostic uh system um it's when you have that you know that that backbone of the fantasy but then starting to add the elements of other genres so like with comets and cockpits you know i started with fantasy and then i was like but i want you know kind of like that 1920s 1930s pulp feel so we'll throw that in there but then i also want kind of a cel-shaded junker you know gritty grungy kind of borderlands destiny feel so i'll throw that in there too uh let's get some gundam let's get some some like late 90s early or like late 80s early 90s anime throw that in there and it's just kind of having your let's say your salad your base salad of 5e and then adding the olives, the tomatoes, the cheese, the the nuts, the the dressing, and accentuating it, um, and then finding those ways that it works. So, like with comets and cockpits, one of the first things when Zach and I were talking about it was, we want this to be an alternative for spa for Spelljammer, but we don't want to make it just basic sci-fi because there's tons of five five e sci-fi stuff out there. 
like uh, Esper Genesis, which is great if you want to do Esper Genesis. You know, I've read through the book some. It hits on some stuff and it hits on doesn't hit on other things. Um, because I think part of the thing that part of the allure of D and D is that fantasy core, is that that's that high fantasy, high adventure feel to it, and you don't want to lose that. And mm. when we were talking about comets and cockpits, we were like, how do we keep that flare alive, but make it so that your nature druid can still go toe to toe with a mecha that is carrying a giant railgun? Like, how can, how, what is that dynamic that we can make work? And it has been a blast figuring out how to make all these different things work and, you know, come together. And, I mean, I've been more in the the lore department, less than the, the player department. Um, but, like, one of the, one of the, I'll use an example that we did was, you know, I don't think a lot of races in 5e do this, but... I designed a playable race for our for our book one, which is our planet book, which was based off of marine iguanas. I kind of based them off marine iguanas, um, with the idea being that this version, this this ha- this faction, lived on their planet and just evolved naturally. So sort of over through natural evolution, more fantastical, they became these very powerful survivalists, very intelligent. But then a separate faction breaks off and becomes a race in the second book through installing runes in their bodies and implanting themselves with surgical runes. They become much more scientific. They become much more augmented and analytical and kind of like your, your you know, uh, sort of hyper-intelligent species, but through a magical means. And it's kind of finding those those wave points and finding the ways through like adventures or classes to to seed those things in um Hmm. that was very rambly i apologize (laughs) no so what's the let me ask you this then let me ask you this what's the limitation then what limits anyone from doing any genre mashing in 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 D &D? is it because it's D D? is it because it's a mechanical limitation i mean what's what's stopping anyone from doing that successfully well i think it's it's partially what I think we've been getting at is that it's partially I think individuals because I think the the like if we look at streams like big playthrough streams of 5e they're all fantasy so I think folks will often assume that you can really only to be successful if you want to do something it's only really fantasy that that works and I think there's you know often and I think it's starting to slowly fade more there is kind of a, a bit of a gatekeeping, and folks might get discouraged if they try to do something beyond the norm. Um, but it takes pushing past that, I think, and just saying, "This is what I want to do. I want to have. I want to make a, you know, modern urban fantasy five E setting, you know, akin to like Mercy Thompson or you know the Dresden Files or something like that. Just do it. I mean, I the amount of times." I could have stopped because people said my stuff was stupid and unbalanced. Immeasurable. Um, did I give a rat's ass? No, I did not. <laughs> um, so I think it's just that. It's just that, you know, finding the things you really like and just saying, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make it. We're going to go out. We're going to build something. We're going to see how it goes. I, I think you can make the mechanics work. 
you know, you can twist them, you can tweak them, you can, I wouldn't say reinvent everything, but I would say add. Like, don't, you don't have, if the wheel is there, you don't have to reinvent it, but you can add to it. But you could put and some spitter rims on it. Yeah, put some spinner, put some spinner rims on it. Laser some spinner neon, rims. Some some neon lights on there. Yeah. Um, it's it's add. I I would never say take away from it. I would always say add, 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 add. Um, don't add yourself into oblivion because if you add too much, then you're gonna lose that. And I think when we did supers and sorcery, you know, folks were complaining that we didn't add enough. Um, but we were like, the point is that we didn't. We wanted to keep it as simple as possible because other superhero games out there, like Mutants and Masterminds, incredibly hard to play. You got to sit there for four hours trying to figure out how you're going to parcel out your points <laughs> to build a superhero. Yep. It's like, no, no one wants to do that. You want to go punch giant <laughs> monsters and wear capes and do the fun stuff that you just D and D's about. So it's, I would just, I think it's just, it's just taking the first step and saying, I don't care. I'm just going to build, just build and add and build. And that, add. I mean, and that sounds like that, isn't that really that statement of if you're passionate about it, if you love it and if you believe in it, do it anyway. And who gives a crap what anybody thinks? It's like, it's, it is, goes way outside of just D and D and tabletop gaming or any kind of creative form. It's like, are you mm -hmm. passionate about it? The you'll find, the audience will find it. You may be dead what? when they find it, but the audience will find <laughs> it, and you're gonna find there's gonna be an audience out there that loves it eventually, right? That's so how many painters yeah. are there out there that have these masterworks that were dumped on and no one give a, give a crap about until they were dead, right? Okay. It was like what Tupac is still is still making money. You know he is. He's you know he is in his bunker. Yeah. Um. I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With Elvis. I, Elvis, exactly. I, I don't think that we could uh, go an entire episode without mentioning our patron saint, uh, Matt Colville. Um, but Blessed he's been be his saying, name. Blessed be his name. Um, <laughs> all praise. Um, but he's been saying on the last uh, several of his live streams, if you watch him, that he he said, you know, people will ask him, like, uh, do you play or do you, would you be interested in playing X system or X setting, right? And his answer is always the same. No, not unless mm -hmm. somebody, one of my friends loves it and is passionate about it. And it'll be their passion that brings me into it. That's, that's how it always works. Otherwise, I'm happy yep. to do the things that I've always done. Um, and to me, that's, that's the communication, right? Is like, uh, you can see in Cameron's stuff, you can see in a lot of, um, um, uh, you know, Troy, you were talking uh, on a podcast a, a while back now about uh, Daniel Kwan's stuff. Yes. And uh, you can hear passion when people get their hands on their own project, right? And it's going to be their thing in, in a good way, right? Like they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to uh, allow an outside force to manipulate what this thing can be. Uh, it's going to be the thing that it's meant to be. Um, and I think that's why Supers and Sorcery found an audience. I think that's why Root and Twig found an audience. And uh, uh, I hope, hopefully, that's why uh, Comments and Cockpits will find an audience because it's it's true to itself and it's true to the the idea, the core concept. So I, I have a question for Cameron. Mm -hmm. Is there a genre that's safe from you? 
Is there one that you just, I'm not mashing that with anything. I, that, that is, either it's it's like, it's too good to stick with anything else, mm. or it's something that, uh, yeah, I can't, I, I have no idea how I can mash that with something and make it cooler or better than what it is. Hmm. That's hard. I think, for me, just a genre that I don't have a lot of experience with and that I'm really not huge into is horror. I've never been a big horror guy, and I think that in recent years, you know, a lot of horror has become kind of tired. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that, like, we've got your Eldritch Horrors. You know, you've got your Slasher Horrors. You've got all these, like, different subgenres of horror. And, you know, I... It's just a genre that doesn't do it for me. It's just, it's something that you don't have. Like, I think Ravenloft and, like, Barovia, Curse of Strahd, I think that will probably be as horror as I'll ever get, personally, or I'll ever put into a game. But it's just... I don't... Hey, I'm a giant wuss. I don't like being scared. Like, my brother once made me watch the 1990s It, uh, which he thought was hilarious. And I was like, this is friggin' terrifying. Please never do this to me again. <laughs> um, still have never watched the scene with Aragog in the second Harry Potter movie because I hate spiders. Um, never, ever get- going to watch that scene. Um, but it's just, to me, to me, you can use horror elements without using the whole genre. I think we they, people have turned horror into this genre that it is when it's really like... It's just themes. It's it's just ideas that can be included in everything else. So, I think you know, I think uh, we have elements of horror in you know in comments and cockpits. I, not like whack you over the head. Not like this is a horror game. Um, but I think just for me, I just you know horror. I tend to I leave to folks who like being scared. I that's <laughs> that's a I'm just like. Nope. Um, but I think it's well, one that I would not touch because I like it too much. Um, hmm. That's a hard one. I think one that I wouldn't touch because I just want to leave it alone and sort of leave it on its pedestal, I think is low fantasy. Ooh. Like, you're kind of your Conan, you're kind of very okay. low magic you know, very, like, ancient history kind, because I have a special place in my heart for low fantasy. Um, As much as I love Conan, obviously, nowadays, it's a little problematic. (laughs) Robert E. Howard was was not the the greatest guy on the face of the earth. (laughs) Um, Looking back on him. You know, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Same with good old HP. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. But I think... Low fantasy is just, it's a genre that I love. It's, it has, you know, I grew up reading the Belgariad and the Melorian by David Eddings, which is like pristine Mm -hmm. low fantasy. And I'm like, that is something I just want to leave as something that I can enjoy by myself and not build in. You know, that's just something I want to be able to go on my own time privately 
and have for myself um, rather than trying to outdo so many authors and creators that I really admire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think low fantasy I will leave alone just because I respect it as a genre and then horror is just like <laughs> right on. No, thank I, you. I can, uh, I can respect that. I I am also a, a swords and sandals low fantasy fan, and I can I can respect that. I like mm. that. Well, uh, I think that's a really good spot to uh, to start to wrap this up. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Um, I know that. Comments and Cockpits isn't out yet, uh, and we'll have links down in the doobly doo to whatever you wanna, wherever you wanna send people. But where, where's the best pe- places for people to go and follow you, and know when your products are coming out and all that good stuff? So the main place they can check me out is on the Twitter, uh, which eighteen-year-old me would never have thought I would say. Uh, so that is at Daylight Pub ten sixty six because Battle of Hastings. It's the only date that I really remember. Um, that in 1356 because of the Battle of Agincourt. <laughs> it's like the, those two dates. Um, but uh, Daily Pub 1066, all lowercase. You can catch me there, shit posting, and uh, you know, telling people your orcs don't have to be stupid; they can be smart. <laughs> um, but also, you know, just sharing RB stuff. But I've been posting. You might see the trailer that we made, the little teaser trailer we made for Comets and Cockpits, um, that might be floating around online. Um, and you can check out the website, uh, www.daylightpublications.com. Um, it's got a big library, all of my stuff I have done, all the stuff coming up. I also, um, link all of the artists that i work with on the website so if everyone ever wants to commission or get in contact with folks i try to do a really good job of keeping my artist friends hooked up with people uh because i respect all the artists i work with and they are wonderful uh and put up with all my shit (laughs) when i give them like the weirdest concept and they're like okay and i'm like thank you um and they're like, oh, I had way more mutton chops and uh, a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or uh, 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 one of my f- best friends, uh, sh- I'm doing uh, some writing for another Kickstarter, my friend Ryan uh, Langer's doing. And I was like, okay, so Alex, I need, he is a giant uh, eel, octopus, hammerhead shark, giant man. And she was like, okay, I, I will see what I can do. <laughs> two days later i got a sketch package she's like how's that and i was like that works (laughs) so um but yeah those are the the two best places to to keep an eye out um and yeah i'm you know we've got a couple series going on the guild there's uh arena of champions which is our uh league of legends inspired series where we try to release subclasses uh inspired by league of legends champs um we're you know lining up for a shadow isles themed book there we've also got our blood of the immortal series where we take deities from greek celtic egyptian uh norse and mesopotamian mythology and turn them into subclass options um so we just did a bunch of our celtic ones recently and uh otherwise you can catch me grading papers that's right. <laughs> right on. <laughs> the life of a history teacher. Um, but yeah, that's 
that is where folks can find me. Beautiful. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on. And uh, thanks to all our listeners for hanging out with us one more time. Um, We would encourage you to head on over to the Bite Size Gaming Facebook page or to our uh, newly formed Twitter account and catch all the goodness there. And uh, that's where you'll find uh, any live podcast recordings when we do those. That's where you'll find uh, updates when John, Troy, or I run games uh, at uh, virtual cons and things like that and any other projects that we're a part of. So uh, we'd encourage you to check that out. Uh, Thanks again to Cameron. Thank you to John. Thank you to Troy uh, for one more episode, and we'll see you next week. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Have a good game. Yep, stay safe out there. Or they can choose to go back to rest. Go back into the tomb. That's cool. Right on. All right, I just bought it. <laughs> well, thank you, Troy. It's inevitable. Check Every it single podcast, somebody ends up buying something. Yeah, even when we go to the something. news article, we have to still spend money yeah. somehow. Well, this time yeah. it wasn't you, Zach. Yeah. It cost money. <laughs> I'm telling you. Uh, yep. Boom. No. Purchase no. confirmed order.